Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Jeff, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Man, we are uh, sitting here in a balmy 35-degree day in Tennessee. Yeah, it's winter in Tennessee. It's it's winter in Tennessee. It's always just cold enough to make you cold, Yeah, but never cold enough to snow. Well, we had snow last week, but it was like an inch and the whole world shut down here in Tennessee. I think Cleveland is the only place in earth where it can snow for nine straight hours and we'll have an inch of snow. So the, the and they canceled school for three days. Not the, not Lee, but the the public schools canceled for like three days. Yeah, yeah. So it's awesome. Anyway, so we're really excited about our guest today. He's a fellow SoCal guy, so I'm super pumped about it. We get to talk about all the the fun SoCal things as well. But man, we're so honored to have uh, Pastor Chris Estrada with us. He currently serves as the executive leadership of Missions uh, Me and Missions Me, helping move the vision of uh, One Nation Day, one forward at a time. And uh, being the executive director of Missions Me uh, College, uh, Chris and his wife, Erica, live in Southern California, San Clemente area. Shout out to all my San Clemente friends. So, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. Hey, boys. Good to be on. Yeah. So, uh, how are things in SoCal today? You know, I can't complain. You know, it's the 270 days out of the year. It's 72 degrees with a light breeze coming off the Pacific. So, I've had worse. I can't complain. That's and right. Disney's about 45 minutes from my house. Um, I, if I want to go surfing, I can. If I want to go skiing, I can. Amen. If I want to enjoy the good weather, I can. Can't complain. It's beautiful. People don't understand that about Southern California. Like, literally in the same day, I can go snowboarding up in Big Bear, and I can go surfing in the afternoon, you know, in Huntington Beach. Like, it's it's. I'm crazy. telling you, God lives here, and he visits everywhere else. Well, maybe we can get the Holy Spirit to work on y'all's gas prices because a good, <laughs> a good friend of mine. Telling <laughs> you right now, you gonna make me pray. So, a good friend of mine posted a picture yesterday. He's like, "I had a quarter of a tank of gas in my car already, and it still cost him like a hundred and twenty bucks to fill up his car." I'm like, "Dude, you guys, the highest I pray I paid is six dollars and seventy nine cents." Nuts. Yeah, Nuts. I thought two ninety five was high. Yeah, no, two ninety five is a gift from God Almighty. <laughs> Man, it is crazy right now. Well, we're praying for you guys out there. We yeah. know, we know. We uh, lots of friends I love out there. California. I love the people and the culture of California. I know you guys, uh, from personal experience, are always sort of fighting an uphill cultural battle in some ways. But, um, but man, what a calling! What an opportunity for the work that you're doing there. So, talk to us a little bit about what you do, kind of the context of ministry that you have. And I know you guys, um, you know, worked with Saddleback a lot. Uh, do one day LA and a bunch of other events, but. Um, so sort of that's part of a connection for us there as well. But talk to us about what you're doing, what God is doing, and uh, kind of what you're seeing happening in young adults across across California and all the places that you travel. Wow. Well, first off, thank you so much for letting me be on. And you guys have just a gathering of eagles and elites uh, on the leadership drip. I was looking through the names. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've had just some great voices and influencers that have come through. So thanks for carving out time and space. Uh, to make this moment happen. But my journey actually began on one night at summer camp. My, I love to play basketball. My, I went to this church that had a gym right before camp season. They invited me to go, and I had no idea what this was. I was a cartel kid. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, had, 
I, I mean, I, I, I didn't know what church camp was. And my youth pastor said, hey, do you want to go to camp? And I said, is there going to be hot girls at this camp? <laughs> Amen. And he said, well, we're going to go for Jesus. I said, fine, <laughs> you can go for Jesus. I'm going to get some phone numbers. <laughs> I'm going to camp. <laughs> what I didn't realize is on the first night of that camp, guys, I got saved. I got filled with the spirit, got called into ministry all in one wow. night. That's so awesome. And yeah, it was wild and, and definitely a, a massive game changer for me. Um, then started going to Bible college, went into business for myself, was a missionary to Sri Lanka, youth pastor to wow. movement that just had a sweeping revival uh, come through where we're watching young people begin to take risks, cast out devils in Walmart, prophesy in Target. We're watching legs grow out, tumors disappear, all while we're eating meals or at coffee shops. It was incredible. And uh, that's really been the passion of my heart is to raise and release the next wave of influencers and voices who are going to storm uh, spheres of society to cause sustainable transformation. And that's really our vision at Missions Me is we want to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. And we've done that by building runways in other nations. Um, if someone's heard of a one in one D. Um, we've, we've, uh, been just incredibly humbled to watch God assemble his body. Just, uh, the last one we did pre COVID in 2019, we had 10,000 missionaries from 43 different nations, 150 plus organizations pounding ground for uh, change in the nation of Peru. And I, man, I wish I had time to tell you guys about the 14 medical clinics in 12 different cities, um, about the. Uh, 10 stadiums we filled on the same night at the same time without advertising one name. Cause we say it's not about a man or a band. It's about a mandate and a mantle. Um, I wish I had time to tell you about the leaders advances, the 3000 high schools we went into and preached the gospel to millions of students in five days. But at the end of that seven days, we saw 1.1 million people awesome. give their lives to Jesus and be involved in the local church 30 days later. Wow, That's, that's awesome. Heard of. That's yeah. unheard of. And so in the middle of that, though, like to your reference, in the middle of that, God, we felt like God was reassigning the vision of Missions Me. Um, we felt like God told us, I'm going to make an aggressive move on America. This was at the beginning of 2019. And we said, OK, I, I bet you want to start in Tulsa. You probably want to start in Dallas or Cleveland. And God said, no, Los Angeles. And we're like, why? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But he, you know, he, he said, hey, I want to I want to start uh, and I want to I don't want to just give proof of concept. I want to give proof that I'm with my church and I'm with my people. And uh, we have just felt for a very long time that the modern missions model, right, is so tired. And we have got to get a fresh wineskin with strategy that will pierce through into this generation, this technology addicted, this star uh, following the celebrity mindset. And how can we cultivate a movement that pulls cities into unity in America, the church especially, so that we could see the salvation and transformation of the city. And so we got to see that this past July. Um, there's a whole story for that as well. Maybe another time. But it was very, it was incredibly special to watch the church unite. 20,000 missionaries flooded the city of Los Angeles 
that partnered with every denomination. Every, I'm talking about even the Jewish Federation, the Catholic diocese. We started seeing this incredible alignment begin to come into, uh, come into play. And we watched this vision of doing the greatest display of love the city of Los Angeles has ever seen. And then we culminated in SoFi Stadium, which you guys probably have heard of. You know, the new Rams, mm, Chargers oh yeah, Stadium, yeah. $5 billion stadium. This thing was built for the gospel, I'm telling you. And uh, we were the first live event of its kind to christen the stadium. And this is where we had just an incredible lineup of influencers who came in and pulled on tier one status uh, celebrities and voices to be in the stadium. I mean, when you've got Conor McGregor on the front row with his family and you've got Clay Thompson, I mean, you've got the Lakers, you've got ton the Kardashians, you've got the Beavers, you've got everyone uh, there. You're going to begin to shake some things all across Los Angeles, if not the globe, since it's such a world hub city. It was yeah. absolutely supernatural. That's so amazing. And I love this whole conversations of new wineskin uh, for, for missions. And I, I think I want to talk, you know, if we can geek out on models and systems a little bit, because you, you just quickly brought it up. Um, when I came to Lee just over three years ago from, you know, Southern California, from the L.A. area, um, one of the things I really felt strongly about as I kind of encountered this campus was our missions model because I'm also um, over all of our missions work that we do through the university. So long story short, we've done a really good job for about 30, 40 years raising money for particular projects around the world, and that was fantastic, and they've done some amazing things. But when I came here, I really felt like the the call was – not to raise money, but to actually raise missionaries. And so we inverted the model and we created a student activation model instead of a student support model um, where we're actually all the money that we raise now actually put students on the mission field. And so is that what you're echoing? Is that what you're seeing when you say a new wineskin for missions for this generation? Talk to me a little bit about what you what you're seeing and what you're doing, because I think a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders are curious about how do we be or do missions moving forward? Mm. Yeah, this is such a great question. And we could rabbit hole this thing really, because there's so much more that God has uh, than what we've seen. I would say that there's something unique about this generation. They are waiting for someone to put a demand on them to take spiritual responsibility of their sphere of influence. And what they want is perhaps direction or guidance but they don't want lids or limits. And we have watched as the majority of our teams um, are 20 somethings. There's teenagers, there's families that come and we've had 70, 80 year olds be on these massive teams. Um, But what we're seeing to be honest with you is, you know, there was a model and, and perhaps it's still out there and it has a level of effectiveness, but you know, when, when the world's seen and done it, the world can fill stadiums, right guys? I mean, come on, the world can pull together, uh, uh, artists, they can put together mm-hmm. a light show. They can do all those things with all the uh, all the aesthetics. But what the world we have to do what the world can't do without God, and what the world can't do is sustain transformation. Only yeah. Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. And there's only one vehicle that will sustain transformation in every city and nation, and that is the local church. Every model in society has been disrupted. Your education models your business models, your polit- uh, your, your government model, every, every model in, in every sphere of society has been disrupted. And I believe that this is so important for us to recognize that we have a chance in a gold rush, if you will, to really pierce into something yeah. fresh. 
And so we've asked Lord, the Lord for multiple times, Lord, give us significant keys, like the right keys that would unlock this city or nation. Because what unlocks Los Angeles won't unlock Miami. Right. And what unlocks New York won't unlock Chicago. And so we have to be very targeted. We call it not just outreach, but intelligent outreach. Hmm. Because the model was for years, and you know this, Rob, Jeff, you know, there was a, an anointing that blew into a city or a nation, hosted some mass gatherings, which is great. We all want the anointing to saturate the place. But then the anointing went with that back out with that person. And then what was left that was sustainable. And right. that's what this generation wants. I want to know that my life mattered and that someone expected more of me. And for far too long, we've expected too little from this generation. Yeah. And so they're coming along this vision and we're watching them, man. They are absolutely taking ground and yeah. not having any regrets or reservations about it. Yeah. Chris, you mentioned something in, in, in the, I don't know if our audience caught or not. You said something about influencers and influencers often get a bad reputation, especially Christian influencers. It seems almost paradoxical. So help us kind of define or understand when you talk about this missions, me missions, me college, uh, raising up influencers. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. You know, influencers has been so watered down because we live in a social media world. Yeah. We think influence is just social media following. And that is true. But there is influence that can happen in the hidden places mm. where God still moves the hearts of can, uh, kings and queens like he moves the rivers with his hand. Right. Yeah. That's what the word says. And so influence isn't necessarily visibility. Influence can be a lot of different things. And that's what we're raising up. Uh, a whole generation to get a mindset, a royal mindset that I can influence from the front. I can influence from the back. I don't have to hold the mic. I can hold the door and still have influence. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we at Missions Me, we're a platform of trust. And at Missions Me College, especially, that's what we are. And so we're collaboration infrastructure. We're just a platform of trust that causes worlds and realms who would never talk together or work together to come into alignment for a unified vision. And influence can be a collection. It can be, you know, we've watched mass demonstrations. We've watched mass stances happen for different justices and social justices uh, uh, agendas. And that is influence. It, there yeah. wasn't necessarily a visible face when it began, but the influence of it was. And so this isn't about clicktivism or activism. This is about being so empowered by the presence of God Almighty that your influence would be like a Daniel in a Nebuchadnezzar's court, or right. it, it would be a, a voice to celebrities of today. And guys, I think a lot of times we have, we have, we've let religion or tradition, man-made tradition, hold us back from really journeying some people into a place of strength. And, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, I, I think there are some influencers who are not perfect at all. Let me just say that again. There are a lot of Christian celebrities, voices, artists that are working, you know, they're ironing out their wrinkles, they're smoothing out yeah. their edges, but that shouldn't stop them from sharing the journey that Jesus has them on and he's doing with them. I mean, I mean think about the demoniac. You know, this guy right. is absolutely terrorizing an entire region. Jesus sets him free. Jesus doesn't tell him when he's free, sit down, shut up. He tells him, go and tell. Mm -hmm. The woman at the well, he tells her, go and tell. doesn't mean that they're called to ministry. doesn't mean they should be starting churches. What it does mean is there is a biblical precedent for influencers at that level to begin to share the gospel. And so I, I'm kind of making this a marsala. Influence is really done on multiple levels. We have to get a higher vision than just social media. Yeah. 
That makes yeah. sense. That's good. I mean, and, and I think, Chris, I think how do you in your – I know social media is a, a big piece of it, and we see it all the time. And it seems like we have this influencer status, especially in the Christian world, and we we just keep watching them fall. Like, how are you helping young adults especially guard against the pride that comes with it, the the traps that come with, with being and having notoriety? Um, I know we're not just spe- specifically speaking about social media and notoriety, but when you have influence, there's an open door for pride to show up. So how are you helping leaders and young leaders guard against that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that we've really focused on and really the last 14 years of my life, there's been this emphasis. You know, we, we're, we're by the grace of God, we have a graduate in every nation of the world. Uh, between the school I was at in Texas helping lead and right now at Missions Me College. And when you talk about how do we perhaps put some safeguards around them, I think we have got to get away from mentorship and start pursuing discipleship. Mm, And and let me, let me, let me, a lot of people may not understand. There is a difference. Mentorship says be like me. And that's good on some level. You know, when I, when I, when I was being developed by a pastor or a father or mother in my life, there were certain things about their marriage or their family or business-wise I wanted to adopt into my own. But that's mentorship, though, because it says be like me. Discipleship is a lot different because it doesn't say be like me. It says be like Jesus. And I think this is where a lot of young leaders who want to happen way too fast, mm-hmm. um, who are hungry uh, for, for uh, spotlight, and don't realize that those that heat from that light is really hot. Yeah. And so we've put an emphasis on discipleship and personal discipleship. And not just read your Bible, pray fast, worship. Those are all key and elementary. You know, Psalms 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I mean, if you can't do the basics, what can you do, right? Mm-hmm. But really, when it comes to this influence, as, as we're watching uh, young leaders have a hunger for this, and God's raising them up to do it, what it really comes down to is other places like accountability, like integrity. Let's talk about generosity. Let's talk about servanthood. Give me, do you, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but you know, we filled SoFi Stadium with the top five, I would say almost the five top 500 uh, social media accounts across every media, social media platform. But they could not get in there unless they served a minimum of four hours. So you got to sit in the freedom experience, you know, with Justin Bieber and Tori Kelly. All the, okay, you got to sit in that, not because you bought tickets, but because you serve. So we said you sit because you serve, because discipleship is important to us. I mean, nobody was exempt. There were celebrities who were there. I, 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 there were celebrities showing up to Watts in orange Lamborghinis to serve that because they were coming in. And I think these are the places of discipleship that are so crucial uh, right now, somebody's got to start asking these questions. How's your marriage? How's your yeah. eyes? How's yeah. your thought life? How's your relationships? How's your money? Why isn't your money right? Where's all this going? And start doing the digging. And there's got to be a trained father or mother that's combing through the hearts of a generation and looking for things to plug the word, to latch onto so they can feel that strength, so they can go through that journey of transformation. I, I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just tired of scandal. And I'm talking yeah. to the church. I'm done yeah. with that. I'm so mm-hmm. tired of that. I'm tired of hearing every week another friend, another marriage, another yeah. family absolutely destroyed. I, I think this generation is done with that. 
What they want is somebody uh, to hold them to a high place of accountability. But let me tell this to all the young leaders that are listening right now, because I think a lot of people want to be called out when there's compromise, but you don't start out in compromise. You start out in inconsistency. Mm. And what God does in the hidden places of your life, in the prayer room of your life, in the word, he shows you you're inconsistent in this area. And if you don't tighten this up, you'll then be in compromise. And that's when trained fathers or mothers should come in. But let, let's, be, let's be people who know how to per, be personally discipled by the Lord, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the authority of the word, um, by integrity, and not wait till it gets to compromise, but let God address it at the inconsistency level. Yeah, and I think I think this is such an it's written number one. It's really difficult um, to model because I think there's a generation of leaders where we sort of ignored the internal pieces of our spirituality. We have focused so heavily on the external pieces of our spirituality, right? The the manifestations yeah. of of the Holy Spirit in us, not necessarily transformative work of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, we can always look to people like Billy Graham or some of these other great leaders who have led the life and led the way, and we we we, right. we can attempt to model. But on a personal level, especially, you know, again, it sounds like I'm slamming my own generation. I'm not. It's just I don't think we were ever really challenged or charged to do the internal work before we were expected to deliver the external manifestations. And so when we have conversations with Gen Z students or young millennials or young adults, we are so intimidated to ask those kinds of questions because we know we haven't asked ourselves those kinds That's of true. questions. That's good. We, we feel so, disqualified. Right, exactly. We feel absolutely disqualified. Yeah. I, I love the point that you brought up. It's like Psalm 11 to 3. If you can't do the simple things, the basics, then what can you do? Right. Well, through talent alone, there's a lot we can do. We've proven that. Right. So we have to get back to this understanding of biblical spirituality and biblical discipleship that it doesn't matter what the external pieces are. Right. Because even Paul talked about others who are preaching Jesus and seeing results. Right. It doesn't matter what our the size of our church is. It doesn't matter, you know, whether or not we have the book deal. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. If we get the heart part wrong. If we get the personal relationship piece wrong, then then everything else from that point forward is skewed. And so, yeah, I think you know, everything you're saying is absolutely spot on. But talk to people like me who are a little bit older, who's not a young adult. How yeah. do we at this age, in this stage of ministry and life, for those of us who aren't doing it, the basics, talk to us about how we hmm. unpack that now so that we can we can lead better the younger generation. Well, here's what I would say that everybody needs to understand. Does it matter if you're in ministry or not? And I'm pretty sure the majority of this audience has a, has a bent towards ministry or a calling in that sense. But everybody that's a believer has an inner and outer anointing. Right. And Mm. that's what most people need to pay attention to. Your outer anointing is your abilities. It's your craft. It's your skill. It's your talent. And we've done a great job at sharpening that, at building that, at, at, at getting people to speak into that but we have oversighted so grossly inner anointing inner anointing is integrity it's guarding your heart it's being unoffendable as possible i'm telling you the one thing that's taken out more movements right now in the earth i'm talking about juggernaut movements that you thought were going to just storm all nations across the planet voices and leaders circles and streams is this thing called offense and, and that's another thing about inner anointing. You have to be unoffendable as possible. 
And I think, or, or even purity, you know, Joseph is a great example of that. This guy has a great heart for God, but he goes in to clean, knowing he'll be alone with Potiphar's wife, this old lust bucket that's been trying to get yeah. on him the whole time. Yeah. And yeah. then says, come and lie with me. And I, he does the right thing. The word says, flee from sexual immorality, right? She, he flees, but he flees naked. And there's a whole message in that. But she, she got his coat or his cloak, but she didn't get his character. And this is the inner anointing that I'm talking about is we've got to pay attention to that more because I'm watching talented guys fall, yeah. less talented guys rise because they had inner anointing. And I, yeah. I to say to a, perhaps a, a generation ahead and those veterans, you know, yes, there were over, there were, there was a lot of overlooking when it came to certain things that happened behind the scenes. People made room for it. They, they thought they were, you know, my love's covering a multitude of sin, but there was never an addressing to it. I, I will say this. If, if there's a, a leader that's ahead of this generation in age or experience and you're struggling, I don't know about anybody else, but I sure have felt like the hypocrite when I'm giving a student or a family member or a, a family in our church or someone, I'm giving them advice about something I'm struggling with. Right. I'm giving them counsel about yeah. something I'm battling through. And I think a lot, that's where we feel the disqualification is I'm a hypocrite. I'm literally prescribing medicine. I don't even take myself mm -hmm. or I'm finding hard to do that. But let me, let me just help somebody out here for just a second. If you are in a place where you feel disqualified, let me tell you when you are and when you aren't, if you are struggling and you're giving out counsel and you're leading people or small groups or churches, and you are at war with that struggle and you stay at war, you're praying that thing. No, I won't be that man. That's the old man. I won't be that. I'm a new child. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. I break that mindset. I break in. You're praying. You're warring against it. You're studying on those talking points. The Holy Spirit has you growing on. You're not disqualified. Right. You're journeying, but you're not disqualified. But when you grow numb to the conviction of mm. the Holy Spirit in certain areas, when it no longer hurts your heart, or you sense it hurts God's heart, I'm telling you, you're in danger, friend. You're in danger of not just being inconsistency or even compromise, but now being disillusioned that somehow God is okay with this compromise in your life, and you are setting up a false narrative of your relationship with him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> trying to meditate on that for a minute. There, there was a well, lot. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> and I think you're right, Chris. I think especially Rob and I are sort of similar ages, and, and I think you fall in sort of the same ballpark. We were we were encouraged to work a lot on the craft, but not a lot on the character. Yeah. Like it's true. We like like get the preaching right, get the leadership right. Especially leadership came became yeah. a buzzword and topic as we were coming around. Like this whole leadership conversation is right there in our title. But leadership without character is really, uh, it's worthless. I mean, you're, you're really not going to lead anybody or anywhere yeah. of any validity, especially in the context of the kingdom. So it, I think it's bled over to a younger generation. Like, and their craft is different. Where we were like preachers and teachers and pastors, their craft is, is highly filtered images of themselves, whether it be on Instagram or in real life. And they're working on the craft and not developing the character. Maybe it's a should question, not a how. Should we slow them down, or how do we slow them down to make sure we, we engage the character before they get too far ahead in the craft? You know what? I think it's a both hand. 
Yeah. I think everybody's journey is unique. And I don't think that everyone's groomed exactly the same, which is the great thing about the creativity power of our mm -hmm. God is that he'll create one to produce this, another one to produce that. Yeah. And so everybody's journey is completely different. But what I would say is a lot of people have developed this mindset that I got to get there fast and I got to get there now. Yeah. And, and I, I just, I'm watching too many sugar rushes of yeah. leaders, these flashes in the pan, mm -hmm. these people who don't have longevity or people who don't carry um, uh, sustainability. And when promote, I've watched promotion crush people. And this is something we pray and prophesy for all the time. Oh God, promote me. Oh God, take me to the next level. Oh God, I want my new seas, new year, new me, all that kind of stuff. But then when promotion came, you didn't have the spiritual muscle, the spiritual gains to be able to carry all that he was putting on yeah. you. And so I have watched that. Then I've watched others that, you know, I, if I ever wanted to breed maturity in a leader talking about discipleship, I'll tell you, I gave him responsibility, which is a big mm -hmm. difference between, you know, uh, maybe an older mindset was you got to prove it before I give it. To exactly. You. Well, yeah. I have found that I have bred more maturity in young leaders by giving them enormous amounts of responsibility because they're going to do one of two things, right? The first thing they're going to do is they're either going to power trip and, and put themselves, uh, everybody else around them is going to be subjugated to all their leadership. Or number two, they're going to be um, empowering and raising others up around them. And they're going to make everybody else great. And they live with that royal mindset that I have a nobility. I have a, I have a, a supernatural royal responsibility to lift everyone else. And I think this is why we have to journey with people very... Um, and very intimately to know where they're at in life, multiple areas of their heart. The last thing I want to do is throw somebody into the water that can't swim. Yeah. yeah. And then the last thing I want to do is throw somebody who can swim into shallow water. Like mm -hmm. I want to measure them there. You know, one of the things that always gripped me was Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel was given to the priest Eli. And then his mom would come and visit at the, I think it was the feast of tabernacles every year. And she, she would always, the Bible says she would always bring him a cloak Mm. And every year she brought him a new cloak. And my mind thought, how would she know what size he is if he was, she never saw him for a full year? Well, that's because she expected him to grow. Mm. And I believe that there's a lot of leaders that need somebody to go, hey, I expect you to grow past this. Hey, mm. 90 days, I want to see some fruit. I, I want to see some mindset. I want to hear some language. I want you to come back to me and tell me what the journey's been like. And I believe that's the proper way. So I do, I do think it's a both hand. I think I think one of the big challenges that we have, though, even from a from a discipleship perspective, is um, when we give responsibility, we always are going to take the risk that that responsibility will will backfire, like they'll fail, right? And so we we associate <laughs> failure with somehow with our own personal identity that we that we missed it, that we wasted resources, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But but I mean. You know, I'm coming from the Rickism school at Saddleback about, you know, he challenged us every week to fail every week. Just try not to repeat the same mistakes, but but go for something like risk something, fail at something, fail at discipling someone, fail at counseling someone, fail at like, you know, empowering someone to lead in, in, a, in an area maybe they were or were not ready to to do. So I think 
how do we overcome this fear of failure of giving responsibility of, of it becoming a personal sort of um, uh, aspect or, or identity for us? You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do understand what yeah. you're saying. And I, cause I've definitely been there multi thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times, probably with the same person or multiple yeah. people, you know, <laughs> you just, you, you're journeying people, you're developing them and then they make the same mistake. You're like, okay, let's start over again. Let's rebuild yeah. Come on, the courage of God's and you know, I would say this to a- answer your question. Failure is not fatal, right? We have got to get a greater revelation of this. Sometimes failure would be the greatest teacher and not the success just because I found I've learned more from failure. You know, I, I, I've learned how to fail forward like the book, right? I've, I've yeah. learned yeah. those things, but failure, someone else's failure is not a reflection on me, especially mm-hmm. in this area where I'm mentoring them. No, you fail. I didn't fail. And, and I think we get this, um, honestly, I think it stems from pride yeah. where we've got to humble ourselves and go, your dysfunction is not a reflection of my inclusion in your life. You, I'm going to help tighten this up. I love you, but I'm going to help you. You know, I, I just, let's be honest, guys. I mean, there's a lot of things that there's, you know, God disagrees with that's going on in people's lives. Um, there's things he's journeyed me through. The three of us, God's building us, right? Mm-hmm. People who are listening, nobody's perfect. He's building us. But I have never known the Lord to go, hey, you failed. I'm, you reflected me bad. I'm going to treat you with arm's length away until I feel like you've earned it. He, he's never done that. Right. Yeah. He has addressed the failure. He has called us higher. And then he's given us another opportunity yeah. to go and show or go and carry or go and build and I think um, leaders, you just need to get over yourselves. Mm-hmm. We're, nobody's that cool. Yeah. Nobody's <laughs> that important. Nobody's that great. And I think that a lot of times this, and I'm only saying this because this is what I've had to tell myself, Chris, you are not that important. You are not that cool. You are not that big. You are not those things. I live with me. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I know me. And I think a lot of leaders, they have good intentions. They want people to rise. Um but I think there's a sense of embarrassment that comes. But uh, I'm grateful for when I did fail that I I never, no one partnered with shame and guilt right. to disciple yeah. me, you know, yeah. or to mentor me. They they partnered with patience. That's the first thing that describes God's love is love is patient. They just they've partnered with love. They partner with patience. They partner with God's uh, word, and they really embedded some. I, I'm I'm grateful I learned to pray before I ever learned to preach. Yeah, I'm yeah. grateful I learned to stack chairs before I ever stood in a stadium. I'm grateful for all of that because those were the lessons that I was going through when I was failing or trying to build. Yeah, I sat with a group of young men and uh, sort of in that mentoring, discipling vein, a little bit of both, I think. Um, and I told them last week that I want you to fail. Like, I'm sitting with you so you can fail. Like, because that means they took some chances. Like, and I'd rather them fail in this context, in this relationship we have now, then I got a couple guys who want to go on and be youth pastors. Then six months into your youth pastorate, you're on the line, your, your name's on the line and you make a big failure. So it almost really, you make small failures now that we can correct and amend and grow from before you get released into larger spaces and fail miserably, you know, yeah. and it costs you something it may cost you all your ministry and that kind of thing. Um, so how are you kind of setting up space with missions, me college to kind of not help them fail early, 
but navigate the the hardships of becoming uh, a disciple and growing into what God's calling them to do? How are you setting up spaces for that? You know what? We give massive amounts of responsibility at Missions Me College, which is why we're very selective on who comes because, yeah. uh, you know, we have students who or, you know, these candidates that want to apply or they do apply and they want to come in, but perhaps their their leadership scale is, is almost ha- halfway of what we need. Um, it's not quite like eight or nine. If it's around eight or nine, we'll definitely journey with you to get you to the 10. But, you know, we've got to have the right people come in because you are going to believe, be leading f- teams of 500 people, pastors, entrepreneurs, business leaders, influencers, voices. You will have the city's press. I mean, we had Los Angeles. We have every major news out- outlet in America. Good Morning America, CBS Today. We had uh, Good Day LA. We had every print art major news magazine. We had New York Times, Chicago Tribune. All our students are all on the front lines of this. Cameras in their face, ready to go. And the reason why uh, we do it like that is because I need a young generation to see a young leader leading at a high capacity so they're left without excuse. And I, I believe that what we are now it's not guys it's not always a hundred percent you know people make mistakes they drop the ball there's been some significant things but you know i would i don't have any problems having a student with me when i'm meeting with the mayor Mm. and they're speaking i don't have a problem with that i don't have a problem with students that our students are hosting uh millionaires and billionaires at some of our hand-picked meetings just because we trust students and we're constantly giving them opportunity. They're on the front lines. They're serving in these weekly outreaches from the Dream Center to LA Mission. They're serving for this celebrity has a a huge, one of these uh, uh, A-listers had a huge emphasis on foster care. Our our students are right in the middle of that shoulder to shoulder. There's a ton that they're doing. We give them a ton of responsibility. So a lot of what we offer is not it's not in the classroom and the classroom is great. I mean, there's a place for that, but a lot of what we offer is on the front lines of experience Yeah, because it causes critical thinking, which this generation, you know, one of the things you ask them to do, one of the hardest things for them to do is to make a decision. Right. You know, and that was Elijah when he was talking to the nation of Israel, right? How long were you falter between two opinions? In other words, indecision is still a decision. Don't pretend you're not making a decision. You know, decision-making is huge for leaders, especially early on, or it, it gives them hands-on training. When I say hands-on, I don't mean you're just answering emails and phone calls. I mean you're meeting with people. You're journeying with people. You're speaking into things. You're casting vision. Then there's so much more in between. But when we have our students, they're leading these projects. They're leading these serve center sites. They're leading uh, uh, politicians, all of that. They've gone through an intense amount of training uh, throughout the year uh, from us to be able to ready them for that. That's amazing. So let's uh, let's translate this a little bit into real world rea- real world reality. I got there it out. Go. All the words kind of bled together there. But uh, so a lot of uh, Gen Z, a lot of this younger generation that you're training, you're developing, and you're putting me these incredible um, opportunities and experiences with a lot of responsibility. Um, some of that will translate to the local church. Some of it will not. But what we're seeing, I think, across the board is a highly sort of, and we talked about a lot on the show, entrepreneurial, creative, uh, go-getter sort of generation who bring these unique gifts, talents, and abilities to the table, 
but the local church doesn't actually know how to access them or actually incorporate them into the local body. So how are you maybe helping uh, your students and maybe other leaders sort of build that bridge between these highly creative experiences and opportunities with politicians and, you know, news leaders and celebrities and all this stuff? How are you helping them take those experiences and then bring them back into the local church? And how are you helping the local church extend the invitation? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think a lot, a lot of it really stems around this one statement. Not everybody in the church is called to ministry. Like I'm talking mm-hmm. full time right. ministry. Right. We need godly voices in politics, in education, in medicine. We, we need them on the mission field just as much as we need them in the boardroom. And I, I have found that positioning students in their God-given calling is more important to me than trying to fill positions or build on somebody's talent. And I think calling and destiny, you know, the way we hire or uh, here, you know, when you hire someone, you know, you're looking for chemistry, you're looking for capacity, you're looking for character. Well, I've added two C's to that. I'm looking for calling and covenant. And I think those are just as important because I think that what we have is a very talent filled generation. But what we've just seen in the last, let's be honest, 10, 15 years is we had the image that we're doing a lot when we were really doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and that was because we misplaced, you know, I always say perfectly placed people prevent problems. And so if I have someone who's just got an entrepreneurial mindset and that is their passion, I don't need to make them my executive pastor. I need to find out what God's calling is for their life. Let them run in that lane. But I'm also going to tell them you're still a Christian and it's not a pastor or minister's job to win, win souls. You're a Christian. Right. We win souls, we make disciples, we release, we raise leaders, and we release revivalists because we're Christians, mm-hmm. not because we have titles. And I always tell our team, you don't have a title, you have a purpose. I don't, you know, I've been handed business cards with people who are like, you know, I'm bishop, uh, apostle, head Levite, shofar player, Jedi master, <laughs> the whole thing. You know, like I'm like, dude, you need to calm down. You. What you're really telling me is you lack identity and purpose with all these titles because you haven't found God's God's given calling on your life. And so I think finding people, don't be afraid of the fact that you've got a church full of teachers. You're going to reform the education system in your region, if not your nation. Don't be afraid if what you have is all these musicians but they're not worship leaders. Come on, we've all seen that one. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who are talented, but they have no business leading worship, but they're incredible. And they're going to go into industries. They're going to go into certain places that the church could never have got them into, but God gave them that talent. We've, we've got to let the Daniels be Daniels. You know, we got to let yeah. the Joseph be Joseph's and be okay with that. Um, we, uh, everybody's going to win souls. Everybody's going to disciple everybody's going to operate in supernatural power. Everybody's going to call to integrity, but we've got to move into this thing where I'm not just praying for more ministers. I'm praying for God's calling and destiny to come on people's lives. Yeah. Chris, can we talk about the other side of that? I feel like as much as the church is trying to put callings on people for ministry, that may be more marketplace. 
we have a lot of uh, young adults we see who have callings to ministry that are pursuing the marketplace because they have hesitation of local church work. Local church work doesn't pay much. Um, it's long hours. All the stigmas that come with being a pastor or a leader or a minister. Yeah. So how are you sort of identifying the ones that do have m- local church ministry callings and helping them lean into that? Because I think we're seeing as much the opposite, not having good leaders for the ch- young leaders for the church because they feel like they can't provide or there's just some stigma on it. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of that. Again, it goes back to discipleship. I think it, we're seeing a lot of that for that reason. We need, again, fathers and mothers to comb, comb through the lives of young leaders, to move them into a place of urgency and finding their calling in God. Yeah. Now, I do know the other side of that because that's my life. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone knows, but I, before I went into ministry, I was the internet sales director for every luxury car company except Lamborghini. So my wife and I, at the age of 21 and 22, made financial goals that most people retire at. But it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. If you're not in the will of God, you'll be miserable. Yeah. I basically took what God had given me and what I had learned growing up and put that in the car business. It works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It works. Yeah. And, and so, um, but I knew that I had a call to ministry, but God didn't start me out in ministry. He started me out in the workplace. And I think... The temptation for a lot of these people who are chasing after uh, uh, the entrepreneurial side, there is that bent. I feel like a lot of lead pastors have that. There Mm -hmm. is that bent for multiple reasons, and I'll come back to that. But I feel like the danger is I watched a lot of people do the same thing I did, and then they started adapting and becoming accustomed to the the, the salaries and the payouts and the commissions of that lifestyle. And all of a sudden, they became unaffordable for ministry, and they mm-hmm. can never make their way back without absolutely financially ruining themselves or putting through mm-hmm. their family through incredible hardships. And now we lost another one. And it goes back to, you know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's not always going to try and take your life. He's not always going to send people to kill you. What he will do is distract you. And a distracted life is a wasted life, and he did destroy your life. And so... Um, coming back to the entrepreneur side, I, I celebrate multiple streams of income because uh, guys, I'm a missionary and yeah. I, I'm just letting people know if you're coming in ministry for the money, there is none. It's <laughs> true. There, <laughs> is preach. None. there is none. And, and I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm well aware of my bottom lines. So I do have different <laughs> things. I like to put my hand in and I'm passionate about and want to do. And, you know, even with my kids, uh, you know, I, one of my kids is like, I want money for this. I want money for that. Okay. I've got to start treating, start training you and developing you to understand that. So he's like, can I go get a job? And I'm like, no, but you can make money. Cause I don't want you to learn how to go and just work. I, you know how to work. I, I taught you that I need you to learn how to own something. I need yeah. you to know how to learn two somethings. I need you to know how to manage three somethings so that you have multiple strings of income. I mean, Abraham was rich in gold, silver, and cattle. So if the price of cattle went down, he could rely on gold and silver. If the price of silver went down, he could rely on cattle and gold, right? So mm. I think we need to be okay with people having these multiple. Four. There are high capacity people who can handle multiple focuses. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah it absolutely. Does. Does. does help help sort of some leaders have permission to do that because i think sometimes they feel like they're robbing the church if oh, they man. have a second 
like gig yeah. work or something, especially Style in their skill set. Yeah, yeah. But if it's in their skill set or if it's in their in their abilities that's sort of natural to them, I think sometimes they get like, oh, I'm, I, I'm. It's a tension of like I'm robbing the church from time, but I'm dependent on the church for provision. So give somebody permission to kind of lean into some some ideas and entrepreneurship. You know what? I, I look at Paul. Paul was a tent maker. Let's let's remember this. There's times this guy didn't even take a salary. I mean, he had to go and build. Paul was able to fund his ministry. Let's remember Paul left the, the church and went to uh, uh, Egypt for 18 years and wasn't heard of, wasn't heard from, right? And then... He comes back and he's able to do all this ministry. I'm thinking he was apostolic in those 18 years of silence. He probably built up a a certain surplus of finances that would fund the initial years of his ministry so that when he got to a place where he could actually move and ministry could provide for him, he was good. Like he was Gucci. You know what I'm saying? Like we're good to go. But uh, to speak to that mindset of I'm robbing the church, you know, pastors have such off hours. You know, it, it, you know, pastors can work 80 hours, 100 hours a week easily. Mm-hmm. And then there's some weeks, you know, there's not a lot. There's no funerals. There's no weddings. There's right. no marriage counseling. You know, there's no camps. There's no uh, events. There's no conferences. There's no board meetings. And so you kind of have a week where, hey, I was working 100 the last three weeks, four weeks, just because that's the rhythm of the season. But now I'm back to a 40-hour week. You know, you've, everyone's got, I would say, to do a side hustle, you're not stealing from the church. I, I, would, I caution people when they think like that, you better think about your family and your children because mm-hmm. they are going to develop uh, uh, either uh, an offense towards the church or they're going to develop an appreciation that my dad was able to walk in his God-given calling without neglecting any of his duties and responsibilities before God in his church and was still able to meet all of our family's needs yeah. because they were given the license. He was given the license to do that. I've watched a lot, man. I've spoken to a lot of PK camps, a lot of PK conferences, and I've watched a lot of pastors' kids be overly offended yeah. at, at their moms and dads living below the poverty line of America and still uh, uh, being told you're not giving enough, you're not doing enough. And they're just mm-hmm. like, the church is never happy. It's never good. We, we have got to be the type of people that look, I, I don't, I don't need to be in the office 24 seven. I need to be around people. And I have found that when I'm doing a lot of these side things, these side hustles, I'm meeting lost people. Yeah. If, all, if I'm a pastor and I'm stuck in my office all week, I'm not around lost people. Yeah. I'm not effective. And I may be spiritually strong, but you're going dull and you're not sharp. And I would, I want to be strong and sharp, not just strong and dull. Mm. So I, I would impress on people to reconsider that position. Yeah, that's a good, good advice. Good wisdom. So what, uh, just to kind of cap this conversation. So how would you advise sort of a leader who, where would they start in this? Like, like, I mean, they've been a pastor, maybe 10, 15 years. All they've known is church work. Yeah. Where, where might they start in sort of, I mean, there's lots of gig work. You could drive DoorDash or Uber or whatever. There's some built-in yep. gig work, but I don't know that that's really going to provide for the family as much as it maybe provides for lunch. So what's some places to start if you're a, if you're a leader and you go, hey, I've got this commitment to the church, but, but my family has this need? 
Yeah, this is great. I, I always told even our students here at Missions Me, we have this trained in them, but um, I've always told people that uh, you may not start mm-hmm. to be able to replace your full salary or replace half of it or even a, a, you know, a quarter or a third of it, but what could 500 extra dollars a month do for you and your yeah. family? Mm-hmm. That's a car payment. Yeah. That's probably somebody, that's half of somebody's mortgage. That's savings for your kid's college. That's, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, even a couple hundred dollars a month could be absolutely world-changing yeah. for a lot of people. And so you don't have to go and find a second job many times. Go and find stuff like stuff that I've done in the past. I remember when I was a youth pastor. I'll give you one. I was a youth pastor. And like I said, there's no money in ministry. And I remember sitting at the edge of my son's bed. He was about two at the time, my oldest son. And I was crying because I couldn't afford to buy my son socks. I felt like as a failure, as a father, as a husband, as a provider. Yeah. And I, what happened was I remember God told me, you put all your eggs in one basket. Did I not start you out in marketplace before ministry? You know exactly what to do. So I started an eBay store. This is back when eBay stores, this is before Amazon took over as Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like um, uh, eBay, um, eBay was on the rise. It was moving hard and, I started selling everything from novelty items to video games to DVDs. I even, guys, I even sold dishwasher soap because believe it or not, the little separated cubicle dishwasher things, not just the the one you pour in, but the little, uh, I don't know what you call it, the capsules uh, that you pour in there. They can't get those all over the world. I was selling that for like $30 of profit. Um, That would cost me $3. I'd sell for like 30 something um, and, and sell it. I mean, uh, the people were buying that up. And you know what, when I first started, I think I made like 50 bucks and I was able to take my family out to dinner. I started putting out more stuff. And the next month I was able to pay the car payment with that. And then the next month I was able to actually pay for a vacation. I wanted a vacation. I was like, my wife's name's Erica. I said, Erica, we can go on vacation. I was able to do a little vacation, a little three day vacation for our family. You know, th- it started increasing to the point where I got to it where it's taking care of the mortgage. It's taking care of the mortgage and utilities. It's taking care of mortgage, utilities, and my car payment. So you, you're building into this thing. Uh, be patient with things like now with drop shipping being what it is. This is such a move um, with Alibaba and AliExpress and Amazon uh, 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 FBAs and uh, running ads on Instagram or Facebook or now uh, even TikTok. I mean, there's so much that people can do. You can do consulting. You can yeah. do your fast typer. You can go to rev.com. You can do that. Um, if you uh, live in an area that has a certain fire code, fire code states that every curb in America has to have your address numbers. If it's apps, if it's not legible, then you can go and offer 30, 40, 50 bucks. Let me spray paint your numbers. And you do 10 houses like that. You got $500 if you charge. I mean, there is stuff. Guys, everybody yeah. has hustle. Everybody yeah. does. Every major voice and leader I'm around, doesn't just do church. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm grateful. I get to be in a lot of different rooms with a lot of people and they're doing a lot of different things. Some are doing real estate. Some are flipping cars. Some are doing NFTs. Like I was sitting down with some guys last night and, and uh, talking through NFTs and how to strategize through that. There's a lot that's out there. And so I just want to give people permission, pursue it with your passion. Don't let it be a distraction. Um, but at the same time, Take care of yourself, your wife, and your family. That's your first priority. Yeah. 
man uh, it's valuable Chris, this has uh, been such an awesome conversation we're, we're out of time unfortunately i do i would love to have a second conversation with you at some point maybe we'll get you you're, you're being uh you're gonna be in gallenberg when are I you gonna get there right. I oh, am. Yeah. I'm going to be right. at Winterfest this year. Actually, I'll be at Frontier this weekend. This weekend. Okay, so uh, I got a crew. And, so the people doing worship at Frontier Winterfest, that's my crew. Okay, you so know what? they're my students. I need to just come and hang out at Lee University. I pass yes. all the time. Yes. Um, I, I, when I'm in town for different things there, whether it's uh, First Baptist Cleveland with, with our friend Jordan Easley there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or at Omega. There's just tons of people there or you know, if I'm going to different places uh, throughout Tennessee, I need to come out. I don't know how I do that, but whatever. I need to come out there. But absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We'll get you some mediocre we'll tacos. We'll get you some, yeah, we'll get you some sort of California tacos. There's a sort couple of. places that you can get close with around here, but Please, anyway. I want your best average. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So do. we have one final question. We ask everybody on the show. We'd love to ask you as well. Um, what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Hmm. You know what? I, I saw that uh, my assistant showed me that question. I thought, man, I don't think I've ever been asked that um, before. So it's a, a really good question. Um, as I, I prayed and processed it, I, I really felt when when it came to not being in the classroom, I have like three answers. I, I learned the value of money outside yeah. of the classroom. I also, uh, this was going to be my first answer. I learned how to become ready for marriage. Um, I, I I found my wife. My wife is a former uh, Dallas Cowboys cheerleader who had just gotten saved. I mean, she uh, started coming to our church and I, I didn't know anything about being necessarily a stable husband. My parents uh, got a divorce and, and there's so much family history there. But I, I think that's probably my most favorite one is you know, I, I at least got a good runway built yeah. so that when I came into marriage, I wasn't coming in just wanting the bed or the intimacy. I, I was ready to guard my wife's heart, build her up, have her live her dreams and, and vice versa. That's great. That's, That's great. Awesome. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we've really enjoyed it. And and again, if you're stopping through Cleveland, please say hi. Yeah. We'll, we'll get some coffee or tacos or something. As we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got to see at the table. Thanks for coming on. You got it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Okay, okay. we're clear. Hey, dude, thank you so much. Yeah, this uh, for your fun. Time. Loved it. Great conversation. Um, love what you're doing. Appreciate you so much. And uh, so cool that you're going to be at Winterfest. Like I said, my crew is leading. I was actually supposed to be in Dallas this weekend with the crew who's leading worship, but I wow. couldn't make it. Um, uh, thanks to COVID, I got bumped back with a couple things, but I'm clear okay. now. It's just everything got pushed back. So hopefully I'll see you, though, in uh, Gatlinburg. If you're coming to that one, I'll be there I for am. that. I will okay. be there. Was that next month, right? I think so. Yeah, next yeah. month. So yeah. uh, um, I'm going to Insta-stalk you, and I'll give you my cell phone number. Yeah, please. Um, send them both of you. I'll give you my yeah. too. I'd, I'd love to stay connected. Um, and, uh, and I, I, you know, I was thinking about this too, guys. I was like, there's got to be our heart is to unite. Our, our heart is to really yes. build relationships. And I'm thinking, how can we work together to accomplish these citywide campaigns? Perhaps call on the militant manpower of your army of students to yeah. come and be a part of, of one day Houston and be part of a fresh wineskin and model, like you were saying for mission. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a conversation for another time when you got space. Um, I'll text you, but let me give you my phone number. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. 
It's uh, 972-207-3975. 3975. Now, do you want mine or do you want me to just message you in like Instagram? I'll just just text you. Yeah, text me yours. No, I'm not that guy, bro. Please text me. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) I would love that. Always always pays to ask first, right? You know, (laughs) I get it. No, I I appreciate that. But no, I I, I just felt like before I was getting on, I was worshiping and praying, but um, I just felt like perhaps maybe there's some alignment here with Lee University and one day Houston that's coming up. We'll do Houston in November of this year. Okay. Uh, we'll do Miami in summer of 23. So okay. th- there could be some great stuff. And plus we're rolling out. Okay. I just got just, um, we're, we're rolling out, um, uh, a new, new track to onboard. We were, I was just at Liberty university. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was talking with, uh, Jonathan Falwell Yeah, and he was in, and I mean this, he was like begging us create opportunity for us to send students to be a part of the 90 days before one day Houston, our students can do all their classes online and then they can do all the experiential practicum hours with you. And it really got us thinking. And so now it's now Liberty, Dallas Baptist, it's Oral Roberts University. Yeah. Like I was going to ask, what are there. you? Yeah. Yeah. There's I have deep ton. connections there. Do you? Yeah. yeah. So um, are you connected with Empower 21 at all? I know, yeah, definitely know Caleb Worley, know okay. uh, all of those, so, you know, Terry Parkman, the whole Yeah, group. so so Ashley Wilson, who is, like, the executive, is, like, my yeah, best Billy's- friend, son. Okay. And yeah. then Billy was my pastor in college. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, job. like, I feel like I can work for anybody, because I worked for Billy for three years. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's a fact, bro. I can work I for anybody. I love, love him. Too. Love him, but, like, yeah. Um, so I think in that conversation, power 21, cause the last conversation I had with Ashley, we're like, like really good friends from like, I, I he planted a church in Lexington. I was with him for seven years and the, the Pentecostal conversation is it's happening everywhere in the world, but the United States, like not anymore. I mean, yeah. And I think that's shifting. I agree. But it's like from his perspective from power 21. And that's one of the things Ellie Bonilla is a friend of ours. Yeah. You know, Ellie, yeah. um, so I think that's shifting, and I hope so. Um, I, I think need to get connected with those guys probably in a deeper level. I think it would um, be a benefit. Uh, if you want to make an introduction, I would not hesitate. Yeah, at, at, at yeah I'll connect you with Ashley. Yeah, I just, I love what God's doing through Empower 21. I love it where it's Pentecostal or whether it's not. I, I'm yeah. watching the church unite. And I think the yeah. only thing that can unite the local church right now is evangelism mm-hmm. we all can agree, agree. That we all get saved only yep. through this and so it's using that model and you know i'm not sure what you guys know about one day ola um or even one nation one day but it was pretty historic to have every every and i mean this every denomination every string represented on yeah. the team in los angeles which has never been heard of so i think that's going to take place even more and um man I, I, I'll, I'll try and lock in some time with you, Rob, or whoever. Oh, absolutely. And, for sure. If we can yeah. make some alignments happen. Absolutely. Love to do it, man. Love to do yeah, it. It's so, been fun. Yeah. All right, bro. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah. Enjoy Palm Springs. Enjoy Dallas. Uh, give my crew a hard time. I'll make sure they take good care of you. Sound good? I look forward to that. All right, All right guys. Brother. Thanks so much. See you, Chris. All right. Take see care, you, bye. We'll see you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.